Coming to you tonight from the historic Memorial Stadium here on the campus of the University of California, Berkeley. I'm George Strait, Associate Vice Chancellor for Public Affairs here at Cal, and your host on State of Minds. Berkeley was the first of what is now a 10-campus system at the University of California. The first graduating class of 1873 had 12 students. Now, close to 40,000 students apply for the freshman slots each year. Only one in four is accepted. They come in large part because Berkeley is the number one rated public university in the country, and according to the London Times newspaper, the number two rated university in the entire world, second only to Harvard. This stadium was built in 1923, just in time for that year's big game against arch-rival Stanford, which, by the way, we won 9 to nothing. Cal Athletics strives to meet the same high excellence standard as our academics. Recently, our football team has become a national power, in large part because of coach Jeff Tedford, who has linked academic success with success on the playing field. Here's Julie Wong. Day, Cal football players rushed the field in the pursuit of another win. Since head coach Jeff Tetford took over the program in 2001, Cal football has been on the rise, steadily improving its record each season, both on and off the field. 30-35, It has always been my goal to build a strong program here at Cal uh, that integrates academics and athletics. Indeed, Tedford is not only building a nationally ranked football team, but one that is made up of scholar athletes. That's why during the week, you'll find players like offensive lineman Scott Smith juggling the hectic life of a Cal student athlete. I think Coach really understands that there's going to be a life after football. Uh, I mean, that's very much a reality. Football does not last forever. and. Injuries happen and you know, you don't get picked up by NFL teams or anything like that. He wants to make sure that not only are you eligible to compete on the field, but that you would leave here with a degree that means something to you. And that degree has to be earned. Student athletes at Cal don't get any free passes in academics. I was surprised how time-consuming and draining it is to be an athlete here and still do well in school. So much time goes into your sport, and then on top of that, you really have to focus on doing well academically. So to get players like Smith across the academic finish line, the football team and all other sports teams at Cal rely on the support of the Athletic Studies Center. Step inside the UC Berkeley Athletic Studies Center, and it's usually a buzz with activities. The instructor's email. <laughs> Hundreds of students come through here on any given day looking for help with scheduling classes, tutoring, and selecting majors. But do they all need to be four units? Like, does it need to add up to 32 units? Most universities with established sports programs have academic support services for student-athletes, usually managed by the athletic department. But here at Cal, the Athletic Studies Center operates independently from athletics. Instead, it is overseen by the Division of Undergraduate Education. Because of the classes you're taking, 
I think your schedule is pretty good for the fall, though. Freshman athletes are required to meet with advisors and attend study sessions at night after a full day packed with classes, practice, and training. But the upperclassmen almost always return to take advantage of the services or just to hang out. Chris Lane, a former Cal water polo player, is one of seven academic advisors at the center. She says her door is always open to the 250 student athletes she advises. The most important part of my job is to make sure these students are able to succeed at UC Berkeley. Um, this place can be very scary and very big at times, but to let these students know that they are being supported. Keeping the center a welcoming place is a goal of the Athletic Study Center's director, Derek Van Rienen. He and his staff, many of whom have PhDs in education, consider themselves first and foremost as educators, who are doing much more than just keeping student-athletes eligible to play their sports. We want every student that the institution brings into this campus to walk away from Cal with a degree. Now, if along the way they've been spectacular on the playing field, if they get an opportunity to play professionally, that's wonderful as well. But our goal at the Athletic Studies Center is first and foremost, you're going to earn a meaningful degree. Van Rienen himself earned an undergraduate degree at Cal while playing on the soccer team. After a professional soccer career, he returned to Berkeley to pursue a doctorate in education, eventually taking the helm at the Athletic Studies Center in 2001. I'd like to think that since I became the director here at the Athletic Study Center, we've built an intellectual community of student-athletes, that in fact um, it's a community where people respect one another for their intellectual thought, their academic pursuits, in addition to their athletic talents. Varina knows many student-athletes choose Cal because of its first-rate education, so he pushes them to make the most of their time here. If you take full advantage of this education at Berkeley, it means you're going to challenge yourself. It's not taking the easiest classes or the classes that other people have said you can get an easy A. That it's the classes that are going to challenge your mind, that are going to challenge you to think about things differently, move out of your comfort level. Um, and the advisors here and myself are always trying to challenge students to take that step. To track the students' progress, the advisors use an advanced database developed with the Athletics Department. The Athletic Study Center's student-athlete database is an excellent way for us to, with the student, track their degree progress. Okay, you've taken German 198, that's two. And we do that, of course, starting from their freshman year until they graduate. The students tend to really like it because in one place they can see all of the things that they have done. High-tech tools aside, both students and advisors agree that what makes this place work is the relationship the staff builds with each student. The people here are incredible. They really legitimately care about who you are. Uh, they want to see you succeed. Scott Smith has made good use of the resources and credits the Athletic Studies Center with building his confidence in handling the course load. Congratulations. Smith's hard work, along with that of his teammates, have certainly paid off. At a recent banquet for student-athletes, the football team won the award for the highest team GPA, an honor they have not earned in a decade. The senior class also scored a solid 85% graduation rate. Well, that's really 
a wonderful thing to understand about a team that they're motivated enough to um, not only really succeed on the field, which we did last year, we had a great season, but we also got it done in the classroom. It's very comforting and uh, inspiring to know that we could, we could do that. Van Rienen and his staff are ready to take their students to the next level. Even if players leave Cal early for professional careers, they're encouraged to return to earn their degree with the help of the Athletic Studies Center. Van Rienen says their commitment to Cal's student-athletes is for a lifetime. In Berkeley, I'm Julie Huang. As almost anyone will tell you, the action at Cal has not just been on the playing fields. This campus has become synonymous with student activism. UC Berkeley became a national symbol of that activism in the 1960s, when a philosophy student named Mario Savio stood on a police car and demanded the right to stage political protests on campus grounds. He launched what became known as the free speech movement, right here in Sproul Plaza a tradition of free expression that continues today. Now from speaking out to speaking up. Our next story comes from UC Santa Barbara, where some lucky students got a chance to talk to a UCSB graduate who happened to be working on the International Space Station. Matt McAllister reports. You ask most people and they understand that research, studies and academia occur at universities. But you might be surprised to hear about some of the outreach programs. For example, the Mathematics, Engineering, and Science Achievement Program, or MESA at UCSB, is a great example of a campus coming together to help support over a thousand young aspiring college students every year through our MESA Day. Well, MESA is one day in a, in a, a sequence of, of competitions that occurs around the state that uh, the various schools that, that have MESA programs at their schools they compete in these, the students who have been working on math and science related projects throughout their academic year. MESA has existed for 35 years and uh, the mainstay of MESA each year is to have different types of competition that enable students to uh, learn about math, science and engineering and it's a forum if you will, uh, where students can get together uh, representing their school and teams and compete. One of the coolest highlights this year, um, we, we got to have a, a live feed from Leroy Chow, who at the time was an astronaut on the International Space Station. Uh, how are you doing, my friend and fellow colleague? What's been the most exciting observation you have made from that platform? Well, Jacob, I'll tell you, the, uh, there's nothing, nothing more beautiful than looking at our planet Earth. It's uh, the first time I saw the Earth from space uh, many years ago, and, and the first time I saw it on this mission, it was just the same, just as exciting, just as exhilarating. The colors are very, very bright. Um, the Earth's atmosphere is almost fluorescent as the sunlight goes through it. It's just uh, indescribable beauty. Why are you conducting experiments in space rather than on Earth? 
Um, thanks for your question. Uh, that's a very fundamental question, is why do we do it? Why are we doing experiments in space? Well, in the absence of gravity, uh, there are different behaviors of different systems, and there's only certain kind of research that we can do up here. Um, a good example would be uh, some basic fluid experiments. You know, fluids behave differently in space in the absence of gravity. You don't have certain kinds of convection, and it's just, uh, you know, you can observe phenomenon that you cannot, you cannot observe because gravity interferes. Uh, other things that, uh, that are very, uh, very big use up here is the growing of protein crystals and things like that, various materials experiments. Those are very, you can, we can grow more pure and more uh, perfect crystals up here that can be used for research into pharmaceuticals to hopefully find cures for, uh, you know, diseases on Earth. And so uh, it's all about making life better on Earth as well as finding out more about the physical world that we live in. And for that, the, uh, the International Space Station is a world-class zero-G laboratory, a microgravity laboratory. It was just so dramatic to me to see this man being beamed down from outer space. And um, he said all the things that we wanted him to say. He encouraged the students to go on. He was very, very validating of what they're doing. Um, people may make fun of you, but I'll tell you what, I'm living proof that your dreams can come true, and uh, I encourage you to keep dreaming your dreams, and that goes for everyone out there. And uh, don't let anyone stop you. Our mission is to provide students, particularly those who are from underrepresented groups, an opportunity to gain exposure to math-based careers and college opportunity. It's also intended for us to enhance their academic preparation while preparing for college and um, really just sort of give them the opportunity to excel, if you wish. The feedback that I have heard about Mesa Day and, and the way UCSB handles um, Mesa Day and any other outreach activities, particularly in these fields, is that we really take pride at UCSB in hosting students and potential students. I remember coming here at UCSB for the first time as a as junior high to compete over here for a final. And I just remember walking on campus and it's like, this is the school I want to go to. This is, this is where I belong. So when they get to come and they get to feel that sense of belonging with interacting with undergrads and staff and actual professors, um, I think that helps them a lot in inspiring these students to come back as, as undergrads. For UCSB, I'm Matt McAllister. No college experience is complete without finding that special quiet place for study, the place that often becomes a second home. For many Cal students, this is that place, the Morrison Reading Room in the Doe Library. Of course, another prime spot for learning is the laboratory. It's there that a UC Riverside chemist is teaching young students to think small. More from Jim Brown. Robert Haddon director of the Center for Nanoscale Science and Engineering at UC Riverside and distinguished professor of chemistry is all about nanoscience. That is, science on the scale of nanometers, one billionth of a meter. Science on the molecular scale. In particular, he's interested in carbon nanotubes formed by subjecting carbon rods to temperatures up to 4,000 degrees. Carbon nanotubes can only be made visible with electron microscopes, but they assemble into a perfect 
tube-like structure, super strong and filled with potential for uses in areas as diverse as computer technology and medicine. But like many of his peers, Professor Haddon also finds time every summer to be a part of another project on a very human scale. The Frontiers in Nanotechnology and Engineering annual summer program for middle and high school students. But maybe we can become the Silicon Valley of nanotechnology or spintronics. Or for one week, students come to the Riverside campus every day for more than a full day's activities. Every morning, they listen to faculty members from all over the campus as they describe their current research in varied areas of nanotechnology and engineering. The principles of nanoindentation are the same as large-scale indents, just on a much, much smaller scale. Later, they will tour faculty labs and talk with the faculty and their research staff concerning details of their research processes. And that's how we're able to integrate our nanowires into devices and then analyze Every afternoon, it's all about hands-on, where they begin to put together their toolkit of research expertise in areas valuable to any further exploration in the worlds of nanotechnology and science. They construct robots and devise ways to make them move most efficiently. Ultimately, all their work will culminate in small group presentations, research they've done themselves on some area of nanotechnology or engineering that interests them. But for some of these high school students, the best is yet to come. They will apply for and secure a few select positions as research assistants in faculty laboratories. For students not yet in college, this is an exciting and valuable opportunity. Basically, I'm doing stains and cell staining right now with astrocyte cells. And uh, when you look under the microscope, basically that'll have the nucleus a certain color, which we typically use as blue, and the rest of the cells in the fibrosa are usually red. Um, another thing that I'm also kind of piggybacking on some of the other uh, students is with the gels and the PCR and basically uh, separating out different strands of DNA and photographing them. I really think this experience has helped me a lot because it's taught me how to work in the laboratories and it's going to help me a lot um, like progressing through my uh, undergraduate and graduate career. Faculty at UCR are keenly aware of the value of early research experience for potential research partners and the next generation of nanoscientists. It's very valuable to excite these young people very early on rather than coming to the last years of college and then realize they don't know what to do with their lives. Well, I think it's really important for the general public to understand what scientists and engineers do and to convey some of the excitement that we see, we see in the lab. And that's why I like working with the high school students and also the high school teachers and I like having them work in my lab. Every summer we've had uh, high school students and this last summer we had high school teacher uh, working here. Cutting edge research is only half the scientific process. The other half is teaching, passing on traditions, especially the hands-on experience of actual laboratory activity. The Frontiers in Nanotechnology and Engineering Summer Program has been so well received, it will expand to two weeks next year. By providing this valuable training as early as middle school for interested students, UCR is showing how easy it is to pay attention to the tiniest details while never losing sight of the big picture. I'm Jim Brown, reporting from UC Riverside.
I'm now in this incredible 100-year-old log cabin known as Senior Hall. It was the first student union here on the Cal campus and continues to serve as a meeting place for faculty, staff, and students. At all of the UC campuses, students are the major concern. We need to be there for them both intellectually and emotionally. We understand that many are under intense pressure and that we need to provide appropriate services. Paul Fontenauer explains how they do it at UC Davis. Universities across the country are grappling with a rise in student depression. UC Davis experiences reflect national trends. There's so much pressure just from the academic standpoint and if you add in relationships and, and friendships and that kind of thing, I mean, it could easily get to be too much. The Centers for Disease Control says that one in five university students may experience major depression and one in ten may consider committing suicide. The statistics point to suicide as the second leading major cause of death among college students. Experts believe that the major causes of depression among college students are academic performance, changes in relationships, an uncertain job market, and high expectations of parents and of themselves. Students, um, sometimes referred to as a millennial generation, have spent a lot of times, a lot of their time growing up in a very structured environment uh, with their parents. Students, therefore, have more, a more difficult time handling some of the more common conflict issues without that structured assistance that the parents have provided. Some people have parent stresses. Um, either parents expect them to get that 3.5 or parents expect them to be pre-med when they really want to be humanities major. Um, as a senior, I can speak to the fact that being a senior um, is stressful in the fact that we're supposed to know what's going on after this. Um, if if I could tell you how many times in the last three weeks I've been asked, so what are you doing when you're done? And um, I'm okay with saying, I have no idea. Um, but some people aren't. And they feel like they're supposed to know. And that, you know, I'm 22 years old and I have to know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life right now. Um, and worrying about finding the job that they haven't found yet, going on interviews, they, they're going to have to move out of their college apartment and find housing, do they have to move back with their parents, um, all those things. Since January of last year, UC Davis has lost four students to suicide. University officials are concerned. We have been concerned about looking at the total student, the needs from the point at which we, re we work with the student to bring them into the university environment and get them adjusted and help them to succeed at the university and all the way through to graduation. How's it going? UC Davis is now looking at additional preventive programs, including ways to help faculty and staff and even resident advisors identify when students might be experiencing stress or depression. I think we do need to think more carefully as a campus about what our response should be to <clears throat> potential suicide, serious depression, uh, overwhelming stress of our students. That's now happening at UC Davis where this fall at the new faculty forum, Sakaki talked about the additional challenges facing teachers. If you see a student in your classroom that just seems distracted, it seems like they're having a hard time, if you could just take that extra minute and reach out to them or have your TA reach out to them, it can make all the difference in the life of that particular student. The difference between whether or not they may say, gosh, maybe this is not the place for me or maybe I need to stop out for a bit versus let me get some help and get myself right back on 
that path to success. Close to 3,000 students, or 10% of the student population at UC Davis, has sought help for mental health concerns at the Campus Counseling Center this past year. That represents a 50% increase in just five years. You know, how do you know when a student says, gosh, I'm so stressed out, I just don't know if this is worth it anymore? How do you know if that, if, unless you're a trained psychologist, to know whether that's an extreme call for help or whether that's something, well, they can just talk it over with their roommate. Don't take the chance. Make a referral. Depression isn't just a phrase, it's a disease, which, if left untreated, can lead to suicide. UC Davis senior Adam Ojakian took his life last November. If you can think of the family as a body, it's like having an amputation. He will always, always be there, like a phantom limb, and all of us have been severely affected. This is part of my life forever. I am changed forever. I have a different family, and I definitely see a need, a huge need in this country for uh, addressing the issue of depression and suicide. Well, recently, uh, UC Davis has developed a workshop for faculty and staff called Dealing with Distressed and Distressing Students. What we've tried to do is put together material um, to help faculty deal with a kind of a wide range of problems and you know give them a list of do's and don'ts. When you talk with them don't ask them about their grades ask them about how they feel about their courses. Uh, help them learn how to judge themselves not to judge themselves by their grades but to judge themselves by their strength of character and to support them in the development of that character. The programs UC Davis has instituted this year give clear direction on how to work with students who may be facing depression. It's easy to forget how stressful it is to be a student. Um, so I think we miss a lot of signs if we're not looking for them. I think if we can help even one student and one family to address the needs that they have, it will be worth all our investment in our new initiatives and the services that we provide. Reporting in Davis, I'm Paul Fotenauer. We close now with shots of the UC Berkeley landmark, the Sather Tower, or as it's better known, the Campanile. First as it was being built in 1914, and then as it looked in 1924, and finally, how it looks today. Not a bad view, eh? That's our program for tonight. Join us again in February when we'll be reporting from the University of California, Irvine. Until then, I'm George Strait. Thanks for joining us on State of Minds from UC Berkeley, where we say, Go Bears!